That's just great. Glory to God. Father, you are our daily bread. It's by every word that proceeds out of your mouth that we live. Just thank you, Father, that you are with us in the earth to counsel us, to guide us into the place where we could see that you're with us, that we could know by experience your presence with us, and that we could have eyes to see a great light shining in us, around us, everywhere we go as we walk in this earth. I thank you, Father, that you lead people to the place where they have eyes to see you with them as they walk in this valley that has the shadow of death in it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Welcome to the, the year of our Lord, 2023. And I don't know if it's accurate. I'm just saying welcome to 2023. And the Lord, every year is the Lord's year, right? So we know the Lord was in 2022. The Lord is in 2023 with us. And coming into 2023, there were so many things I, I, I want to talk about. Like you take a month off and you go sit with the Lord for a month. And the Lord is just like talking to you about so many things. And there's so many things I wanted to talk about. But I, I couldn't stop thinking about the birth of Jesus. I, I just couldn't get away from it. And it wasn't just that there's a day where Jesus was born that I was thinking about. But I couldn't stop thinking about what it meant that Jesus was born. right? What it, what it meant that Jesus was born as a baby into this earth. It, I couldn't shake it out of my mind. And so before I get into anything else this year and what I see God doing in the earth and all of our lives and what he's always been doing, um, I want to I touch on this for a little while. And, and there's a lot of things you could say about Christmas or the birth of Jesus. A lot of you guys know I've exhausted a lot of that stuff. You could talk about a whole lot of historical things around the birth of Jesus. You could talk about a lot of the prophetic pictures and fulfillment in the scriptures that are centered around the birth of Jesus. You could spend a lot of time talking about all the Christological aspects that are revealed in the birth of Jesus, where he was born, how he was born, the, the wise men, the stars, all the things, the wise men. I mean, just real quick to give you an example of some of the things you could talk about Jesus. Where do you think the wise men came from? You know, Daniel was set as the head of all the wise men in Babylon. You know what Daniel began talking to them about? The Christ. And so they became taught of those things. And so the wise men even coming were because they were taught of Daniel about the coming of a Savior. And they knew the sign to look for. And when they saw, they came. That's just one thing you could talk about. But really, the, the thing that has been most oppressed upon me about uh, the birth of Jesus even though you could say all those things, um, the thing that's been the most impressed upon me is that the birth of Jesus is a sign for us. It's a sign. And we got signs everywhere in this world. Some of you see, you see that sign over there? There's a sign over here, be still and know that I am God. We got speed limit signs out here. We got signs everywhere instructing us about how we should move forward. But the thing that's been most impressed upon me about the birth of Jesus this, this previous Christmas is that the birth of Jesus is a sign for us. And it's a sign from God himself giving us instruction about our life. Not giving us instruction about what we need to do in life, but giving us instruction about our life, discerning our life for us. Because signs tell us about life, how we should go forward in life. Right? And this birth of Jesus was a sign from God Almighty himself to us to give us instruction to tell us something about our life as we walk in this earth that's shadowed with death right now. Right? It's a sign for us. And so Christmas isn't just about celebrating a birthday. The point isn't just that Jesus was born and now we can have a birthday party. It's about a sign that was given. If you look in Isaiah chapter 7, we all know these verses. I mean, seriously, we've all grown up reading these verses, quoting these verses, rejoicing in these verses. If you look in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's a very interesting thought there because we know this baby that was born of a virgin. I mean, we know Mary's the virgin, right? Do we all agree about that? Well, it seems to me like she called his name Jesus. 
And so it's interesting that Isaiah comes and says, the Lord himself shall give a sign. And the sign will be a child shall be born of a virgin. There's deep significance to a child being born of a virgin. You know what that means? They don't come from earth. They don't have an earthly father. The seed that produced the child didn't come from a man. And it didn't come from this earth. It came from heaven above, which means it's God. It's God himself, right? And so this sign that, that will be given was that a, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel isn't the name that Mary was going to name the child, like, a, like not a surname, but like your first name, like my name's Greg. That's not what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about what this child will come to be known as, what the birth of this child will declare in the world, what the birth of this child will be a sign of, and what the birth of this child will be a sign of is Emmanuel. That's what it will be a sign of. Now, Emmanuel, most of all of us know, Emmanuel means God is with us. Or if you look in the Hebrew, with us is God. And so God himself will give you a sign that he is with you, right? And that the birth of this child, Jesus, who doesn't have a father, that's what it means, it's a virgin, that it will be a sign that God is with you. We can think we need a lot of different things. We're the kind of human beings that we have a lot of cares to manage. I call it death management. There's death in this earth, and we always trying to manage it, right? There's a lot of cares we could have with a lot of things in the world. But listen, man, really the only thing you really need is to know God is with you. And to know what that means that God is with you. That's actually the only sign that you need. We're always looking for signs, right? I remember growing up in the charismatic movement, always looking for a sign. I need a sign. I need a sign. Show me a sign. Somebody give me a word. Somebody tell me something. And I'm not against all those things. But what I realized, I was always looking for a sign that God was with me. But he already gave me that sign when he himself was born of a woman, born in blood. He was already giving me that sign. So this child being born will be a sign to you, Isaiah says, that God, from God himself, that he himself is with you. That is, that's what it will be a sign of. If you keep reading in Isaiah, he keeps building on this thought. If you keep reading in Isaiah, he gets to chapter 9, verse 2, and he says this about the sign being revealed or the birth of this child. He says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Do you know what the darkness is? It says the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow, death. Death is the shadow. The darkness in the earth is death. Death blinds you. Death keeps you from being able to see the truth about things. And so the people that were dwelling in darkness, the people that were walking in the valley of the shadow of death, that were fearful and all their days tormented by the death they saw because death was exalted in their eyes, those people, a sign will be manifested in their presence. This sign will be God himself born into the earth, born of a woman, born in blood, and that this, this sign will be a great light. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. That's the sign. That's the birth of Jesus. Now, you know, there's another place in the scriptures that talks about walking in a land shadowed with death. Using that specific language. And it's Psalm 23. We all know that verse, right? It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the same language Isaiah used about the great light shining. He says, what does the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. But why does the psalmist say he will fear no evil? Is it because there's no evil around? No, he says, I'm in a valley shadowed by death. The Lord Jesus on the cross was in a valley shadowed by death. Did he fear that death? No. Why didn't he fear that death? For you are with me, Lord. Jesus says in John's gospel, the day is coming where I'm going to be crucified on the cross. Everyone's going to scatter from me. It's going to look like I'm alone, but I won't be alone because the Father will be with me, he says. He didn't fear the death of the cross because he saw Abba. Right? So the reason the psalmist says he fears no evil is because you are with me, Lord. So the great light that Isaiah says has shined to the people that were dwelling in the land of the shadow of death is the presence of God himself. 
The birth of Jesus is the manifestation of God himself. It's the manifestation of the presence of God himself. If you look in the Old Testament, when they built the earthly tabernacle, the sign that God was with them, tabernacling with them, leading them, providing for them, caring for them, was a fire, a great light would manifest inside of that earthly tabernacle. That was called the Shekinah glory of God. That's the presence of God himself. It's a fire that's a great light. And that great light was there to declare to them, God's with you. He himself is amongst you. He himself is there with you. And that was a great light to the people who were dwelling in a land that was filled with death. Do you know what death tries to tell you? God ain't here. (laughs) What do you suppose you do if you don't think God's there with you? You try to clothe yourself with life. That's what the first man, Adam, did when he didn't think God was there with him. What what do you think happens when you try to clothe yourself with life? Do you possess the ability to clothe yourself with life? Nope. You still feel naked, don't you? And so this birth of Jesus, the reason why it was a great light to us is because we couldn't comprehend that God was there to serve us with life. We couldn't comprehend that God himself was there with us to clothe us just like he was there with Adam. Because all we saw was our nakedness. All we saw was the death. And this birth of Jesus was a great light because it's supposed to pop open our eyes and heal our blindness and reveal to us that even though we're in a valley shadowed by death, that death is not a sign that God isn't with us. We know he's with us because God himself has now been born into the earth. Hallelujah. You feel real strong if you see God with you. That's why the psalmist says, I fear no evil. I mean, the moment you feel weak, the moment you feel like things are are going, you know, chaotically and, and falling apart. I promise you, if you saw God standing next to you in the middle of that, you would not care so much about all the things going on around you. Because God got this powerful dynamic that when you actually see him standing there, he shrinks all the things that you think are a big problem. It's like Paul come and said. Paul had a lot of affliction. But what did Paul come and say? In comparison to the glory of God, this light affliction. Things that we think are so big, such a gigantic affliction, so much to overcome. If we could actually remember the sign of this baby Jesus being born into the earth and see what it meant that God was with us, I promise you it would shrink our afflictions. Would shrink our afflictions. The birth of Jesus in the earth is a great light. It's a sign to us that God is with us as we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death. God is with you. Is there anybody in here who hasn't called upon the name of the Lord? Anyone? Okay. So God with you, not only God with you, God in you. That's how this is the house, an earthly tabernacle, an earthen vessel. God isn't just with you like over there. God's even in you upholding your house. Right. Everywhere you go, God is with you and he's closer than each breath you take in and that you breathe out. That's how close he is. Right. And what what a problem for humans is, is we forget that. Because we encounter things that aren't godly. We encounter things that aren't consistent with life. And the moment we encounter those things, immediately we forget the sign that was given when Jesus was born, which is that God himself is with us. So why am I fearful of all this evil if God is with me? I must have forgotten that God is with me. Forgetting is a big problem for human beings. If you go look and read in Genesis, I just saw this the other day, and I study, I like to study the scriptures and different translations and everything. You don't have to do that if you don't like, but I like to do it. But I just saw the other day the account in Genesis where God's talking to Eve about what have you done, (laughs) right? And I was reading it, somebody had posted it, and I went and read it. Our brother, Andrew Grice, I think he said he got it from, I don't know where he saw it from, um, in England. But in the Young's Literal Translation, which is a translation of the Bible that breaks it down literally, do you know what Eve says to God when he asks her about what she did? That word in the Hebrew is translated forget. She said, I forgot and did eat. 
And you know what she forgot? She forgot that God was with her to decorate her in his life. She forgot that God himself was there to be her provision for life. She forgot about the goodness of God. I mean, the serpent came to her and said, has God really said that you can't eat from every tree? What kind of good father keeps something back from their kids? That's what it means when you look at the structure of the sentence. When Satan comes and says, hath God really said? He's not actually questioning whether or not God said that. He's pointing to God keeping back a tree, and he's using that as evidence that God isn't the father you need. Look, he's keeping this back from you, and he knows what good and evil is. He was questioning the integrity of God to be able to care for their life. He's not caring for your life. Look, he's keeping this from you. So she forgot. God was with her to give her life the care that she needs. Right? So the birth of Jesus, it's a great light. We can forget. We walk around in this world and we see things that aren't right. Is it just me? Y'all see things that aren't right, right? I mean, seriously, let's just be honest. We can all see things that ain't right. We can see a bunch of crooked stuff. We can see a bunch of stuff that ain't consistent with life. And do you know what all that stuff is trying to do to us? We ought not be ignorant of the devices of the serpent anymore. Those things are trying to convince us that death is greater than the life of God. It's trying to tempt us to take up our own life. It's trying to tempt us to take up the sword. It's trying to cause us to forget that God is here. Is the battle yours or is the battle the Lord's? Well, do you know what death tries to convince you of? The battle is yours. And it tries to tell you, if you don't do something, you're going to die. Try telling a person that knows God is with them, they're going to die. Even should I die, my God will raise me from the dead. You might throw me in the fire, but even should you throw me in, my God can deliver me from the fire, but even should he not deliver me from the fire, and I go into that fire and I get burned up, I will not worship your statue, because even should I get burned up in that fire, my God will raise me from the dead. He didn't pick up the sword to save himself. God will save me. Right? And so that's the birth, God with us. Like I've been kind of getting into, there's deep significance. And just so everybody knows, you guys, we give each other grace here. As everybody else already knows this. I can talk for a long time sometimes. The way we, the, the way we dwell together in love and wisdom is if, there could come a moment where you think you've had enough. If you feel you've had enough, i got to chew on that. I can't take no more. And you have to get up and walk around or walk, whatever. There is no judgment for you. We're not thinking, you don't really love the Lord. You're walking out on the sermon. That's not what we're thinking, <laughs> right? And so I don't judge you guys if you fall asleep or if you walk around or, or whatever. And you don't judge me for talking loud. We give each other the liberty. Right. So if your rear end gets tired and you got to get up and walk out, I promise you, man, there is no imputation of sin. Right. So you don't impute it to me and I won't impute it to you. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh. So there's deep significance to God with us. Those words, there's a richness there. There's a depth to what it means that God is with us. God isn't God with us. Isn't God over there somewhere chilling? It's not God over there sitting in the back. When the scripture says God is with us, it's not talking about God is around somewhere. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. We can't really see him. That's not what it means when it says God is with us. That's not what it's talking about when it says God is with us. When the scripture says God is with us, what it says is God is intimately acquainted and intimately involved in our lives in the care of our lives, in the needs our lives have, the necessities that we need. He's intimately acquainted and intimately involved in that. God with us is that God is actively present in our lives, manifesting who and what he is to us and in us. That's what it means. He's not a spectator watching from afar. He's not like sitting up on a ledge and saying, well, the world's a stage and all these humans are players. Let me watch and see what happens and eat popcorn. That's like the pagan gods, you know, like Zeus. 
was it Clash of the Titans when I was a little kid? They played all the time. And was it Zeus took the little people and stuck it in the Colosseum and watched it? That's not, that's not God with us. It's not, well, God's watching to see what you're going to do. <laughs> that's not what God <laughs> with us is talking about. It's who he is and the life he has in himself manifests everywhere he is. And so for God to be with us, what that means is who he is and the life he has in himself is all the time working in us, manifesting in us, working for us, keeping us, serving us, protecting us, manifesting the fruit of the spirit in us. And when we struggle to experience those things, it's because we've forgotten like Eve that God is with us and what it means that he's with us. Right. Revelation four, there's these beasts that are angels talking about God. It says they're covered in eyes. Right. It, and they're covered in eyes because they're looking at, they're examining God. They're looking over every aspect of God. And no matter what part of God they see, what they say is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Right. Now, the word holy in Greek and Hebrew just means to be sanctified. Which means to be set apart. And do you know what that means about God? God is sanctified from death. He's set apart from death unto life. There's no darkness in God, James would come and say. There's no shadow of turning in God. He would come and say only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights in heaven. John would come and say there's no fear in God. There's nothing if you're looking at God accurately that will cause you to be afraid. Do you know what will happen if you're looking at God accurately? You'll be made still from all your works and you'll be in awe of the goodness of God towards your life. And so when they say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they're acknowledging that who and what God is, is the father of life. That there's only life in him. That no matter where he goes, no matter where he is, he can't help but manifest himself. No matter where he goes, no matter where he is, he can't help but overcome sin and death. He can't help but manifest life. He can't help but produce peace and love and joy. He can't help but purify from fear. He can't help but to give good and perfect gifts. He can't help but uphold people's lives. He can't help himself but to be good to people. Do you know how you know? We tested that dude. We nailed him to a tree. How many people you know will be good to you if you nail him to a tree? That's like the ultimate test, right? This guy says he's good. Let's see. So we nailed the Lord of glory to a tree, and he still embraced us. He blessed us. He didn't curse us. He prayed for us while we were despitefully using him. Even though we stripped him naked, he went into the heaven to get the robe of his righteousness to clothe us in it, right? God can't help but be good. That's the characteristics of God, right? Moving on in Isaiah chapter 9. We all know these verses. Chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. You guys have to forgive me. I'm out of breath because I'm out of shape. Man, it's hard to stay in shape the older I get. Some of you are like, dude, you're young. <laughs> Some are like, bro, <laughs> take it somewhere else. I'm probably only older than two people in here, you guys. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And this is what his name is. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is describing God with us. This is describing all the different ways God manifests himself when he's with us. That's what it describes there. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment. That means a decree of the truth and with justice from henceforth even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's a sweet, sweet melody in my ear reading those words. And, and what Isaiah is doing is he just finished saying there's going to be a sign. The sign will be from God himself. And the sign will be this baby will be born of a virgin. He says that baby that will be born of a virgin, you shall call him Emmanuel because it will be the manifestation of God with you. And when you see God with you, then that will be a great light to you 
it will heal your blindness and you will see that God is there. And what you'll see about God being there with you is that he's there with you as wonderful counselor. You don't need to guess, how's this guy going to act when he's around? You know, like some people come to the house, you don't know them yet. You don't know how this person is going to act in the house. Is this person house trained, right? Is this person, I mean, do they know how to behave in a home? Right. So Isaiah, he says God's going to be with you. Well, if you don't know what that means, that God's going to be with you, you could have all these kinds of thoughts about what it means God is with you. I mean, if you look at the first man, Adam, after he ate from the tree and he saw his nakedness, his first thought about God being with him was not that he'll be wonderful counselor. It was not that he would be a mighty God or prince of peace or everlasting father. The, the man, Adam, when the carnal mind entered in and he couldn't comprehend the goodness of God, he thought God with him meant God's going to punish him. And so Isaiah doesn't just leave it open to our interpretation. God doesn't leave it open to our interpretation. He comes and says, this baby being born will be a sign God's with you. And let me tell you what it means God is with you. Or let me tell you about how God will manifest himself when he's with you. He'll manifest himself as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the reason he'll manifest himself as that is because he wants to establish a kingdom over your life. And this kingdom that's over your life ain't an earthly kind of a kingdom where there's a king that demands from the people. This kingdom he's going to establish over your life is the reign of an indestructible life where he doesn't ask anything from you, but where he serves you with everything. Right? And the whole purpose he's going to be with you to set up this kingdom is so that he can serve you with peace and justice. You know what we all want in this earth? Justice. Why do you think we get so bothered when we see all the unjust things? The world can't give you justice. Only God can. He sees we long for justice. He sees we long for wholeness and completeness. So he himself has come into the earth to be with us, to establish a kingdom that can serve us with peace and justice. And he says there will be no end to the ministration of peace and justice that will come from God towards everyone that calls upon his name. There'll be no end, he says. Mm-mm-mm. Is it, you guys following me? If you're not, the Holy Spirit is following. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, right? We may hear somebody talk, they're not the teacher. They're not the rabbi. I'm not the rabbi, I'm not the teacher. There's one rabbi, his name is Jesus, right? And the spirit of the son, the spirit of the only rabbi has been poured out into the earth to teach us, right? And a, a person could come along and they could see something the spirit is saying and they could share it with you, but that doesn't make them the teacher. The spirit is tracking for you. Wonderful counselor, what does it mean? Wonderful counselor, this baby is wonderful counselor. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, if you go and read in John 9, and just so you guys know, John, John's gospel, it encapsulates God with us. It is a full, detailed explanation of God with us from beginning to end. That's why it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. And what does it say about the Word? That the Word tabernacled with us, and we beheld what? His glory. God with us. Right? And so if you read in John, Jesus says, for judgment, I'm coming to the earth. Judgment doesn't mean condemnation. We have a worldly view of what that word judgment means. We immediately, we read the word judgment and we think condemnation. But the word judgment just means to issue a decree. It means to decide a matter. Right? It means to come into the earth and explain something or to teach something, to teach the truth. Like a good example of this is there's a way that seems right unto man. But the end is death. For judgment, Jesus came into the earth. He came to show us the way we thought unto life was unto death. And he came to reveal to us the way that was actually unto life. For judgment, he come into the earth. And if you look in the context of where Jesus says that in John's gospel, for judgment, he's come into the earth. What it means is he came to heal our blindness. He says that. I came to reveal to you that the people that think they see God, they don't know God at all. And I came to heal the blindness so that people can see God. And so for judgment, Jesus came into the earth means he came to heal our blindness. That's what wonderful counselor means. The birth of Jesus is God with us now and forevermore counseling you, teaching you, interceding on your behalf. 
showing you that you're not an orphan left alone to nurture yourself unto life. The wonderful counselor is God with you, showing you his righteousness towards your life. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come into the earth, and that the Holy Spirit was called the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is wonderful counselor. It is the manifestation of God with us. And what did Jesus say that this spirit would do? That this spirit would enter into the earth for judgment. And he says the judgment, this spirit would enter into the earth to teach mankind or counsel them into is the righteousness of God towards their life to pick their life up out of the grave and seat it in the heavenlies far above all sin and death. That's wonderful counselor. For judgment, I've entered the earth. You think God is the one stinging you with death, but it's not God stinging you with death. God's not the giver of death. He's the healer of death. Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. He can't be the one who gives the demon and the one who sends it away. God can't be the punisher and the healer. Wonderful counselor. I come to show you the righteousness, the goodness in this guy's heart towards your life. Because if you can be persuaded of his goodness towards your life, that he's taken thought to give your life the care that it needs, what you'll do is you'll commit your life into his hands. God with us, wonderful counselor. The birth of Jesus is God coming to the earth to sanctify his name in the earth. Go read Ezekiel. God said he has to sanctify his name. Do you know why he had to sanctify his name? We talked about it before we started the message. Death was boasting against him. God with us, the birth of Jesus, wonderful counselor. God with us to sanctify his name in our hearts, to give us a new heart. The new heart is a heart where the image of God has been purified in our midst because we see what he done to conquer death in the body of Jesus' resurrection. That's the new heart. It's a heart that sees he will be the God that I need. I don't have to be my own God, right? Wonderful counselor, the mighty God. You know what mighty means? There's a whole lot of gods in the earth during that time, right? Guess what none of those gods can do? Raise the dead, save you from sin, put your flesh to rest, purify your heart for fear. And so the reason why mighty God was added, because it meant something. It meant this God possesses the ability to send sin and death away from people. This God, mighty God, possesses the ability to send destruction away from people. It, he possesses the ability to send the diseases and the illnesses and the death that have come upon people from sin. He possesses the ability to send those things away from people. The scripture says only God can forgive sin. We touched on that this morning. What that means is it's not only God can find it, can get it right to not be angry anymore. Forgiveness in our modern culture is not what the word forgiveness meant to the Hebrew people. That word forgiveness in, in Hebrew, it doesn't mean to be angry with somebody and then no longer be angry with them. That's not what it means. That's what we think, right? If I, if I transgress this brother here and I did something to harm his life and he's upset about it, we would tell him he needs to walk in forgiveness. And what would we say? You got to find it right not to be angry with him anymore. Right? But that's not what the word forgiveness in Hebrew means. You know what it means? It means to send something away from someone. It means to divorce one party from something else, separate them, divide asunder. And so when it talks about the forgiveness of sin, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is the declaration to us that God is with us to divorce our lives from the death and destruction that's in this earth from sin. That's what it means. When Jesus said, man, your sin is forgiven you, those people all knew only God can forgive sin. If this guy is telling me my sin's forgiven me, then it's a sign that God himself is right here with me and he is sending away from me the diseases that have come upon my life from sin. Hallelujah. And that's why they were healed. When Jesus heals the sick by sending sin away from them, he's being mighty God. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he's being mighty God. When he himself came out of the grave, he was demonstrating to the world that he is with us as mighty God. What that means was he can conquer death in the flesh. He can overcome the weakness of our mortal bodies. He can heal our bodies from death. He is mighty God. 
in Genesis 17, we talked about Abraham already. But what does God eventually come and say to Abraham? You know, Abraham believed God and it says he was righteous. But then Abraham didn't really understand God because he come from a land of idol worshipers. And you know what Abraham thought? Well, since Sarah can't have children, I'll be fruitful by laying with Hagar. God's like, this poor dude. I understand he's coming from a land of idol worshipers. He don't get it. So Abraham tried to make himself the father of many nations by his own strength. So God's like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to let Abraham's seed dry up. That's why if you look in the scriptures and study the timeline, from the time God tells Abraham that he's righteous, there's like 18 years between the time he shows back up and says, I am almighty God. Do you know what God did? God waited for Abraham's body to be dead. This dude won't be confused no more. Now his seed has dried up and Sarah's womb is dead. Now let's go talk to him about who and what we are. And so in Genesis 17, God shows up and says, I am the almighty God. And he said that in response to Abraham saying, what shall you give me? Seeing I have no heir, seeing the deadness in Sarah's body, how will you give me anything? How can you be my exceeding great reward? And so Abraham saw his weakness. He saw Sarah's weakness, and he thought that was the most powerful thing in the whole universe. He thought that was greater than the ability of God to make him fruitful. And so God shows up and he says to Abraham, I'm the almighty God. Do you know what that means? I'm the Lord even over death. Death is not the Lord over me. Death can't hold me. We heard it in the song. Death couldn't hold him. And so when God comes and says, I'm the almighty God, what he's saying is, listen, man, I have a life in myself. In me is life. And the life I have in myself even lords it over death. Abraham. And so I can even perfect dying flesh. I can even cleanse your flesh from the filthiness of death. Walk before me. I will provide myself a lamb that will cleanse you from death. Set your gaze upon my work and you shall be perfected from sin and death. And you shall be decorated in the fruit of my life. You will be exceedingly fruitful. God with us as mighty God. You need peace? God's with you. Do you know what he's with you as? Mighty God. You think there's something in your life that's a stumbling block to you having peace and love and joy? God with you. He has a life in himself that he has given you that is not at the mercy of this world or the circumstances in this world. The power for you to have peace is not found in what goes right or wrong for you in this world. The power for you to have peace is for you to see God with you having a life that will produce peace in you even should everything be wrong. That's why we call it the peace that passes understanding. If it's the peace that comes from everything being right, we understand that perfectly. We all think if everything could just go right, we'll have peace. <laughs> if all these wackos everywhere will just straighten up their act, we can have peace. Well, that kind of peace makes sense to us. The peace of God passes understanding because it doesn't need all the wackos to get it right. And by wackos, don't, don't think that I'm disparaging them or, or, or think that God doesn't love them. I mean the people that are walking in darkness because they're confused about where life is found. People who are walking in darkness because they're confused about where life is found can find a whole lot of death manifesting out of them. Right? Because the body is dead because of sin. And if you look to a body that's dead to try to produce life, you can't produce life. You know what you're going to produce? Death. Right? You become a tree of death in the earth not a tree of righteousness you're not planted by the rivers of water you're rather planted in the death in this earth and then that death starts feeding you with nutrients and causing your tree to bear the fruit of death oh man lord have mercy on us everlasting father back to john's gospel jesus says the father has given me commandments There's a whole lot of things I could say about that. I don't want to digress. I want to try to get through this. I'll just say this for people that like to contemplate the scriptures. Our idea of what the word commandment means is not the same as the Lord's. And the rest of this dissertation in the scriptures prove it. Jesus says, the Father has given me commandments. And if you keep reading the context there, he says the commandment is life everlasting. That doesn't really fit with our view of what a commandment is. If I say you, I gave you a commandment, and it's life everlasting. How are you going to produce life everlasting? 
It ain't going to happen, is it? <laughs> exactly. So, so Jesus says something else in John. He says the Father has life in himself. And really what he's saying there is the Father who is the only one who has life in himself. He's the only one who has a life that can overcome the grave, that can overcome death in the flesh. Paul would say it this way to Timothy, God the only immortal. And so Jesus comes and says, he is God with us. He says, the Father is the only one who has life in himself. And the Father has given that I would have life in myself. And he has given me a commandment. And the commandment he's given me is that I'm going to come into the earth as his word, as he himself. And I'm going to father life everlasting in his creation. I'm going to father everlasting life in people. I'm going to father everlasting life in mankind. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am God with the people to manifest in them, to father in them a life that will bring them out of the grave and cause them to shed their grave clothes. Everlasting Father. Become the Father everlasting life in this earth and in our bodies. We're going to inherit an earth, guys. I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. There's an inheritance. They inherit the earth. We ain't going to inherit an earth with death in it. God's going to glorify this earth with an indestructible life. And we're going to inherit an earth wherein there is no death. He is everlasting Father. He's with us right now, fathering in us everlasting life. Prince of Peace. The word prince in the scriptures. I mean, we have our own ideas about prince, princes. Again, especially you ladies, right? You're waiting for some prince to show up, right? Oh, man, my wife had to figure out the hard way that I wasn't the prince she was waiting for. <laughs> I'm only joking. Me and my wife have this understanding that I can say some of these things, and it's just a joke. But listen, ladies, your, the, your husband is a lovely man, and he loves you dearly. He can't be your Prince Charming because he ain't the Prince of Peace. And one of the biggest problems with relationships for people is that the world has taught little girls growing up that they're going to find a man and that man's going to make them whole. I don't say that whole statement is wrong. There is a man that will make you whole. His name is Christ Jesus. Right? And it puts a heavy burden on relationships when the woman thinks they're going to find an earthly man to make them whole. They start looking to that man for peace and love and joy. And every time they don't feel peace and love and joy, they judge the man. And then the man starts trying to be Prince Charming. And he takes the burden on himself. I got to provide life for my wife. I got to provide peace and love and joy for my wife. And every time my wife isn't happy, it means that I suck as a husband. Forgive my language. I'm just being honest with you guys. I'm not like a real pastor. Some of you will think, well, is this guy the pastor? No, no, this guy is Greg. <laughs> you call me Greg. I'm just being honest with you guys. The Prince of Peace, the word prince in the Hebrew it's used to describe someone who specifically establishes a rule, a rulership, or a reign. That's what it means when you call somebody prince. They come to establish a reign or a rulership. They come to set up a kingdom to administer a certain kind of life for people. That's the reason that they come. And so when the, the scripture says, you shall know this part of God with you as the prince of peace, it's saying the birth of Jesus is a sign God is with us, having established a kingdom that's built upon the shoulders of his indestructible life. He has established the reign of an indestructible life over us. And in this kingdom that's been built upon the shoulders of his indestructible life, his incorruptible life, the, upon the, the shoulders of that, th that brings forth a ministration of peace and justice to the people. Do you know what's unjust? Death is unjust. Do you know the only way you're going to find justice from death? Is to receive a life that can't die. God sees that about us. He sees it's not right that people I created to live and never die are dying. It's not right that in their death, 
they're laboring and toiling to try to give themselves life, and they're bringing forth more death in their attempts to do that. It's unjust that people I created to rest in my good work are out there working from the sweat of their brow. It's unjust that people I created to live eternally are dying. It's unjust. We're going to be born into the earth, born in blood, born of a woman, and what we're going to do is we're going to establish a reign. We're going to establish a rulership. We're going to build a kingdom that's upon the shoulders of our indestructible life, and that indestructible life will minister to people peace and justice and of the ministration of this peace and justice to all our people there will be no end God with you as prince of peace you're not under the reign of this world brothers and sisters we live in this world but our lives are not in this world and we see the things going on in this world and it's like we think we're under the reign of this world we are not we are under the reign of an indestructible life our life has transcended this world. It was resurrected from the earth and hid with God in Christ. That's where your life is. The word peace in Hebrew means shalom. Shalom. And shalom means much more than the absence of conflict. We think of peace and we think, well, they were warring and now they're not warring anymore. Like, right, we want to see peace in Ukraine and Russia. We want to see peace. But the word shalom more accurately means to be whole or wholeness or completeness or perfection. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, and he holds out his hands and he shows the hands of God having been nailed to a tree. Do you know what he's saying to you? Perfection, completeness, wholeness be unto you. You know the word, you know the name God, yud Hey vav Hey. Do you know when, you know in the Hebrew alphabet, each letter has a picture meaning? Well, when you look at the God's name, it's an open hand of grace nailed in grace. There's Jesus holding out his hands. Prince of peace, be unto you perfection. Be unto you wholeness. Be unto you completeness. By the power of my indestructible life, I am the resurrection and the life. Be ye made whole from death. Be ye made whole from this death that sin was serving you. <laughs> the birth of Jesus. I mean, the Israelites. You remember those guys when Goliath came out? He's a giant. And the Israelites were the children of God. And they were scared and hiding. And then David. Did David eat honey? What does it say about what David was doing before he was wrestling the lion and the bear? No, maybe that was um, uh, Samson. Maybe that was Samson. But anyway, David comes out and says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would speak against the people of God? Well, then, then what did David do? He decapitated the head of Goliath. He took the head and he went and buried it on a hill right outside Jerusalem. The hill is called Calvary. That's why they call it Golgotha, Goliath, the place of the skull. Well, David was a type and a shadow of the Lord Jesus, God with us. Jesus is Prince of Peace. His birth is a sign of God with us to be our David. And he's with us to do what? Slay our giant. Do you know who our giant is? Death. And so Jesus come and crushed the head of the serpent on Golgotha. He came and destroyed the bite of the serpent, which is death. He is our prince of peace. He warred our warfare. He accomplished our warfare. Though our sin was causing death to reign over us, Jesus superabounded over our sin by the power of his indestructible life. He accomplished our warfare. He has served us with wholeness, completeness, perfection. He is God with us, prince of peace. Mm. Does that make sense? In Luke's gospel, when the angels, and I'm going to speed through the rest of this. It's like speed. What are those, those game shows where they have the lightning round? We always have the lightning round because I go on and on and on, and then I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's that much left? Hallelujah. Okay. In Luke's gospel, I love Luke's account of the birth. Luke was a historian, and so he, he took careful attention to more detail, right, and uh, historical happenings. And, and 
Luke records the angels. When the angels see the babe, the birth of Jesus, Luke records that the angels began to praise God, it says, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards mankind. Now listen, guys, the angels did not get a memo about the playbook of God. When Elohim, Father, Son, and Spirit, got together and talked about saving their people, they didn't invite the angels into the huddle. And so when the angels saw the, the birth of Jesus, they were all of a sudden confronted with something magnificent. God himself was just born as a human. God. Almighty God. Now, I'm just going to walk you through, you know, we know deductive reasoning. We deduce things all the time. Well, I just want to walk you through some of the deductive reasoning of the angels. Because there they are, and all of a sudden, God Almighty, Him in who there is no death, there is no darkness. Him in who there is no beginning and there is no end. Him who is that which fathered everything that lives that lives and has given breath to everything that has breath. God Almighty, the creator of all things. God was just born of a woman in blood. And he was just born of a woman in a corruptible body. That's why it says Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now when the angels saw that, that meant something to them about what God feels for humans. One of my friends in ministries, his name is Arthur Manches. We call him the mighty man Manches. He's a South African guy. And some of you know the history of the body of Christ. We come from a period of time, decades ago, when we were convinced that God thought men, human beings were worms. And he despised us because of our sin. Well, our, my friend Arthur, he gets all riled up and he walks around, he's South African. He's got this great accent, and he's trying to say something, he's getting it out, and then he says, God likes human. God's going to forever be in human flesh. I don't know if we realize that. I don't know if you realize it, but in Genesis, when it says God made man after his image, after his likeness, God first thought of where he wanted to spend eternity dwelling, and he first dreamt up for himself a human body. And after he dreamt up for himself to spend eternity in a human body, he said, let us make man after our image in a human body. And so when the angels saw God himself was born in blood, born in a human body, and not an incorruptible human body, but a body that had been corrupted by death already, that's what it means to be born in blood. Blood is a sign of death. Though your sin was red as crimson. Blood. When the angels saw that, they're like, that means God is not the enemy of man. That means God is the friend of sinners. Glory to God in the highest on earth peace. That means God is manifested in the earth to serve mankind with wholeness and perfection and completeness. That means God, he misses man. That means God, when man isn't dwelling in his bosom, he misses them. It means that God sees mankind as his kind. That God, the place where God calls home is man. The tabernacle of God is man. And when the angels saw that, they're beside themselves. What? How can God Almighty, who has no darkness, how can he be born in blood? Can he be born in a body that can die? It can only mean one thing. This guy likes humans. And he has now been born into human flesh so that he can perfect the human flesh that is dying from sin and death. And he can bring forth a flesh that can never die again. It can never be touched by sin again so that he could set up a ministration of peace and a ministration of justice over his people. Oh. This guy, if God was just born in blood, born of a woman, born with the law of sin and death reigning over the body he was born in. It must mean that though mankind's sin was red as crimson, causing death to reign over him, he's going to make it white as snow. That God has got to mean that he likes human. And in that, the question that David asked is answered. Who is man that you are mindful of them, Lord? David saw himself and he's like, look at me. Oh, wretched man that I am. You give me everything, Lord. You don't ask for anything from me. You give me everything. 
Can I even go and lay with another man's wife, have that man sent off to be killed? And yet, your mind is filled with me. How can that be? Well, the answer to that question was answered when God himself was born inside of human flesh. That's what the angels are talking about when they say, glory to God. On earth, peace and goodwill towards men. If God Almighty has now put on a flesh that has been made filthy with death, it means that he is going to cleanse mankind from death. He's with man to heal them from all the diseases of death and to overcome death in the earth and death in the flesh. Hallelujah. He loves man. He didn't have to save us. You think God's under some law that says, well, your name's God, so that means you have to save people whether you want to or not. God could have let us go by the wayside. I mean, we realize that, don't we? He could have said that's it, but he didn't. I'll finish with this. <clears throat> we talked about John's gospel, and I'll just leave off the end of what I was going to say. We talked about John's gospel um, being a picture of God with us, and it is. And, and maybe the most powerful picture of what it means that God is with you, that you want to walk out of here thinking about, is the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery. I don't know if you realize it, but Jesus reveals himself to be God in that situation. He stands up and says, I am the light of the world in the midst of the temple. And you see, the woman that caught in the act of adultery, if you look in the Old Testament, the sin was adultery. And so, yeah, there's a, a real woman that was caught in the act of adultery, but she's not just a picture of her. She's a picture of all of us because all of us at some point or another had committed adultery on God. And because we committed adultery on God, what had happened was death was reigning over our lives. And so you see in the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery a perfect example of what the birth of Jesus is declaring and what it means that God is with you. Right? They threw that woman down, stripped her naked, they uncovered her nakedness, and they threw her down at the feet of Jesus. And when they did that, they did that in the temple. And they did it on the last day of the great feast, if you read it. Do you know what they're celebrating on the last day of the great feast? The Jewish people? God with us. They even have big candlers in the corners of the temple, shining light, because they're celebrating God with them. And the Pharisees come and say, Moses says such should be stoned. What that means if Moses says, God demands that this woman be stoned. Well, Jesus takes his finger and starts writing on the stone floor in the temple. What does it say the law was written with? What did Jesus get down and write with? How many times did he get down and write with his finger? It says twice. How many times does it say the law was given? Twice. So here these guys are trying to tell God, who wrote the law, what the law says about how God will be with this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus is like, well, I am Emmanuel. I am the manifestation of God with you. Let me show you how I get down. You think that I'm the one that serves people with death? You think I'm the one that condemns people? You think I'm the one that accuses people? You think I'm the one that uncovers people's nakedness? Let me show you what it means that I'm with you. And what does he do? He cleanses the temple. And how does he cleanse the temple? He removes the accusers. He removes everyone that was accusing the woman for her sin. And he doesn't just remove the accusation. He removes the sentence of death that was reigning over the woman. That's Jesus is God with us. And he's showing us what he does. And he's showing us how he reacts in our lives. And he's showing us the way that he keeps our lives. He gave her a new heart. Wonderful counselor. How did he give her a new heart? You know why this woman, you know what adultery means? Adultery in the scriptures is talking about a spiritual adultery. How do you commit adultery on God? You know how you commit adultery on God? You try to produce the fruit of God's life by fornicating with your own strength. You fornicate with your own flesh, the strength of the flesh. That's adultery. And so here was this woman having committed adultery. And he gave her a new heart. You know why you, you, know why you fornicate with your own strength? 
If you don't see God with you to serve you with life, if you don't see God with you to clothe you, you're going to try and clothe yourself like the first man, Adam. The first man, Adam, was an adulterer. He tried to clothe himself by his own works. And so Jesus is wonderful counselor. He gave her a new heart. How did he give her a new heart? She had a heart where the name of God had been blasphemed in her heart because of the sin and death in the earth. She thought God wasn't there to be good to her. So she thought she was an orphan in the earth needing to care for her own life. Jesus was wonderful counselor. He counseled her in the truth that she's not an orphan, that God is with her to clothe her in life, that God is with her to remove the death that was reigning over her, that God is with her to defend her name, that God is with her to remove the accusation against her life, that God is with her to save her reputation, that God is with her to give her a report about her life that is seated in the heavenlies far above any system of governments or judgment in this earth. That's God with her. Jesus is God with her. He goes right on after that to say, I am the light of the world. You guys are celebrating the, the God with you? I am the light. I am God with you. For judgment, I've come into the earth. He says, you guys, the Pharisees, think you know God? You think God is the one that uncovers people's nakedness? You think God is the one that accuses people? You think God is the one that punishes people with death? Well, I'm going to open your eyes to what it means when God's with you. He's with you to give you a new heart. He's with you to give you a life that overcomes death. He's with you to remove the reign of death, and not just by snapping his fingers, but this guy, God's going to offer himself as a lamb to save you from your death. He's going to take your death into himself. He's going to lay down his life because he prefers your life, and he's going to do something to hide your life with him. He's going to make your sin white as snow. That God, he's with you now. Right now. If your reputation is under attack, if you think your name is under attack, listen, man, God's with you. Set your eyes on what he's done to establish a report about your life. Set your eyes on what he's done to take your life and make a report about it that's seated in the heavenlies in Christ, far above every system of judgment and condemnation in this earth. God himself has spoken eloquently with the most beautiful speech that could be uttered about your life. He did it in Jesus. If you're, there's weakness in your body, if there's some imperfection you see in your life, if there's some sin you see manifesting in your life, listen, man, God is with you. He's not far from you. He's not despising you. He's not hiding his face from you. We see that in Jesus. It says Jesus was the friend of sinners. He's with you to heal you. He's with you having put this incorruptible seed of God's life inside of you. He's with you to give you strength. He's with you. He is the power unto you having life, not your circumstances getting fixed. God with us. That's what Christmas. There's a whole lot of other stuff I had to say, but I'm going to save it. God with us now and forevermore. And brothers and sisters, Peter said, I cease not to stir you up by way of remembrance. Though I've told you all these things, and you already know this, I didn't tell you guys nothing you don't know. But the power of the gospel is not found in memorization or good memory. It's found in being continuously reminded of the truth. One of which the most powerful is God with us and what it means that he's with us and what he does as he's with us. Do not let your natural eyes keep you from seeing the work of God in your life. You know the song Waymaker? What is it? He never stops, he never stops working. He never stops, he never stops working. You see, Jesus was born into the earth because we were carnal, sold under sin. We couldn't see God with us to be everything we needed for life, to provide us life. Well, now that we've seen Jesus and the Spirit has been poured out into the earth, man, we should have eyes to see constantly with us. He is always working life in us. He is always working to deliver our lives from the evil one. Always. Always. And the birth of Jesus is supposed to be a sign to us of that. So the moment we encounter something that isn't right, the first thing we ought to think of, God with me to deliver me. Hallelujah. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley that's shadowed with death. This death is not lifted up in my heart. The things these people are saying about me is not exalted in my sight. The corruption I see in the world around me is not a giant in my sight because you are with me, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I need some things that hopefully I can get from the world. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing is what I shall not want need. Right? Glory to God. Thank you, Father. There's so many things we could say about you and your beauty. Lord, right now in this moment, we thank you that you're with us as wonderful counselor and that you're ministering to our hearts the truth that you're with us, that you're opening the eyes of our understanding, Lord that we actually have eyes to see you with our heart through your Holy Spirit. We have eyes to see you with us everywhere we go. As we might encounter things in this world that are filled with darkness, I thank you, Father, that our eyes don't focus on the darkness, but our eyes see the great light that has shined, that our eyes see you with us, always working to cleanse us from the sin and death in this world, always working to keep our name from the accusations in this world, always working to heal us from fear and the diseases that are in this world because of sin. Thank you, Father, that you came to heal our blindness. And it didn't just mean physical blindness, but it meant the blindness of our hearts where we couldn't see you with us, serving us with life. Thank you, Father, that you have accomplished our warfare, that you have overcome death in the flesh, and that you are here to open our eyes to the warfare you accomplished so that we could be comforted as we walk in this world that's filled with affliction. Thank you, Father, for dwelling with us, for being with us, for making us, us your house thank you jesus amen glory to god thank you guys for coming thank you guys for being online man god loves you guys y'all are precious to god